today we begin a study through a book in the New Testament that has earned the, the nickname. It's called the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. And I think most of us, you know, somewhat familiar with Proverbs, you know, it's those, those pithy statements, those little, little phrases that basically help us uh, live life practically day, in the daily grind of life. Look, this is how we live. And that's what we find in the book of James. New Testament scholar and author Earl Palmer describes it this way. He says, this is the book of plain language in the New Testament. And it's one of the best cures for religious, political, and social straitjackets. James is an original, and he has written a book sure to offend everyone in some way. And it will, uh, it will offend us. It, it, I'm just telling you, it's gonna be an uncomfortable 16 weeks. And it's gonna be uncomfortable in the best of ways. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a moment. One of the reasons it's gonna be uncomfortable is that there is no book in the Bible, certainly not in the New Testament, with a higher ratio of commands, a higher ratio of you know, what we call imperatives or exhortations. James, y'all, you can read it in less than 20 minutes, which I encourage you to do regularly, just as we're studying, you can read it in 20 minutes. 108 verses, 60 of those verses have an imperative. 60 of those verses have a command or an exhortation. So it's like you read two verses and James says, hold it right there. Uh, I'm glad you read that. Now do it before you go on. To, you know, it's like, do it, do it, you do that, which, which so aligns, you see, with our mission and values, does it not? You remember we talked about, uh, you know, our mission is wholehearted life in Jesus, wholehearted thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, the whole heart, which means we have a renewed mind, we have healthy relationships, we have a satisfied soul, and an active faith, which is in part why we're in this book of James. Um, it's, he, he's simply not going to allow us, you all, to call ourselves Christian if our walk doesn't match our talk. If, our, if, our, if we say we believe something, James says, show me. You can quit talking about it. Show me. This is the book of James over and over. And, uh, you know, true to form, his personality and, and the way he writes and the content itself, he, he dismisses, he, he, get, he doesn't go through the normal New Testament letter etiquette, which, quite frankly, you read New Testament letters, you notice they begin with, this is Paul, I'm an apostle, I love you guys, um, I'm so thankful for you. And I, James doesn't do any of that. <laughs> he just jumps in immediately and quite frankly, he, he, he addresses what I, I would argue is the most fundamental principle of spiritual growth. It's like it, it pops in, in verse two, boom. And here's the challenge. It's not only the most fundamental principle of spiritual growth, it is, it's probably the most fundamental problem of spiritual growth as well. If you're not there, turn in your Bibles, please, to James chapter one. We're in verses one through four, James chapter one. 1 verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, beginning there, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, 
Greetings. I'm not going to go into tons of detail on this, but trust me when I say most scholars agree this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. There are three Jameses in the New Testament. This is the James that's the half-brother. You do know Jesus had brothers and sisters. Um, And and James is the half-brother who didn't even believe in him, didn't even believe in him till we get to the, to the book of Acts. But this is, uh, this is James who, uh, in Acts chapter 15, preserved the unity of the church when they were arguing, uh, the Jews were arguing, hey, to be a Christian, a Gentile has to be circumcised. And James says, no, no. Jew or Gentile saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. He's writing to the 12 tribes dispersed. When you see this word 12 tribes, he's writing to the Jews. Okay, They've been dispersed and probably this dispersion occurred in Acts chapter 8. There was a man who was persecuting the church big time. What was his name? Say it out loud. What was his name? Saul, Paul. And it says in chapter 8, Saul's persecuting them and a In that persecution, they were scattered. They they were scattered from Jerusalem to all parts of the region. That's the the scattering that's being described. That's who he's writing to. So let's keep this in mind as we interpret and apply this. It applies to us, but let's note he's writing to Jewish Christians. Now, why do I say we know they're, they're Christians? Well, verse chapter two, verse one, he says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of faith. Don't hold your faith. He's writing to Jewish Christians, good? Now, uh, we know that when they were scattered, the persecution followed. Um, That that they, they, they escaped persecution only to engage more persecution wherever they were, which explains why he says what he says next. Look at verse two. Consider it, All joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Doesn't that make sense? He knows they're being persecuted and he addresses those trials immediately. What, what is challenging and what doesn't really make sense, and I don't know that we can get, is I don't think anything would have prepared them for what he said. Okay, I get why you said that, Paul, but what he said. Now think about this. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Hello, you know, you just want to go, what? You know, that, 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 you know, is, uh, that doesn't make much earthly sense, does it, to us? And I want to suggest that what Paul says in these three verses, and this is why we picked this little small section to begin this morning, is something that he unpacks through the rest of the book. So I want these three verses, D. Edmund Hebert, excellent commentary on James, he, he categorizes the book of James this way, that everything falls under the heading of testing your faith. And then we're gonna watch it, how it unfolds, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. I've got an outline up here on the screen. Just look at it quickly. It'll be online, so you can go there and look at that. Um, but it's, uh, it, 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 here's, here's how we're gonna be teaching it in these categories. And we're going 16 weeks. So when school's out, we'll be done with James. 
We're gonna look at when you face, testing your faith, when you face hardships. That's this, we're gonna be there for three weeks, verses one through 18. When you receive the word, when you receive the word, you're gonna be tested, 19 to 27. When you love your neighbor, do you love your neighbor? We're gonna be tested, and our, our faith will be tested in that. When you think works don't matter, there's that great section that everyone remembers. Faith without works is what? Yeah, faith, you know, and then, wait, what did Paul say? You know, and we'll get into that. We'll spend two weeks there. When you speak and choose, your faith will be tested. When you go against the world, that's a huge section. And basically, he's going to pick these areas and go, look, you're different from the world. But when you go against the world, your faith will be tested. And then finally, when you pray. Again, that'll be online. You can look at that outline. Let's go back to verses two to four. Packed into these verses, I'm going to suggest to you is the DNA the, the, the genetics that replicate and produce wholehearted life in Jesus. This is our mission as church. And, and, and it's, it's buried within these three verses is that DNA. I hope we'll see it as we go through this. I struggled through the week only because it's so critical and important. And while it's you know, it's just three verses. I thought, how do I explain this in such a way that, that is, is simple, you know, that, that, that is relative, it's clear we can grasp it. Now, I think this way, so I hope it helps most of you. I'm gonna diagram it in a way. That's why the board's up here, okay? I hope you can see it. If you, if, if you can, again, it'll be online, but um, you'll hear me describing this. But I wanna, I wanna diagram this because there's three verses and I'm gonna give you three words for each of the verses, okay? So I wanna start here. Uh, verse two is Paul is describing a response. Consider it all joy. A response. This is verse two. In verse three, he's going to give you a reason. He's, he's going to say, let me tell you why. So in verse three, we have a reason for our response. And then in verse four, we have the result. If we choose to respond as he commands us to respond, here's the result. Everybody with me? So you've got a, you've got a response he calls us to. He says, here's a reason. And let me show you the result of that if you respond in this way. I'm gonna just move quickly through these. I wanna start with verse two. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, I'm going to work backwards through three words. We're going to start at the back end over here with trials. Let's look at that quickly. Uh, first thing to note is that these trials uh, will happen, uh, that it's not if, you know that. It says when. Um, I want to suggest to you that you will never breathe a breath this side of heaven and not be under trial. that you will never breathe a breath this side of heaven and not be under trial. This is God's way of work in our life. This word trial, start there. Um, it is uh, translated in, the, in uh, the New Living Translation, helps us a little bit. It's tests and challenges. Uh, the message, it, we get this vivid description. Um, it's troubles, no, it's troubles in the NLT, tests and challenges in the message. Uh, First Peter helps us with this when he translates this, this same word, fiery ordeals. Now, this word is also translated temptation, okay? And you're going to see that translated in verse 13 when we get there. But this context here, he's clearly talking about 
the hardships, the bad news, the difficulty, the pain, the angst, the disappointments, the tragedies, the wrongs of life that we experience. This is what he is describing. The second word I want you to note is encounter. When you encounter these difficulties, uh, this word encounter you'll see in some of your Bibles, it's when you meet or when you face. And the, the, the Greek word means fall into. And it's the same Greek word Jesus uses when he describes the man traveling Jerusalem, Jericho, and he falls into the robbers, i.e., unexpected, unplanned, didn't see that coming. I didn't wake up today and plan a trial. No, these come upon you unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, unplanned. You encounter them, you fall into them. And then the third word is the word consider. Now, this is, uh, I said there are 60 commands in uh, the book of James, this is the first one. So we're in verse two and it's like, boom, I got something you need to do here. Uh, consider, you know what consider means, and it, it means to, to, to reckon or to deem. It, it honestly means to think, does it not? It means to, to consider, to think, and think before you act. Um, when, when, we are, um, when we react, see, we haven't considered. And, and, I, and I, want, I want you to remember, you remember when we were talking about wholehearted life in Christ, we're talking about the heart it's our thoughts, it's our emotions, it's our desires, and it's our choices. That's the whole heart, okay? That's what the, the, the gospel changes, our whole heart. Well, when we react, what do you do when you react? You have an emotion and you choose. That's a reaction. You don't, have any, you don't even have any thought to it. You, you, you have a deep desire and you choose, but you, have no, you don't think about it, you don't pause. See, to respond, this is a response, is to think, it's to be aware of your emotional life. It's to be aware of the deepest longings of your heart and then choose, <laughs> see, out of that. That's called wholehearted. That's what he's, in, he's inviting us. In fact, he's commanding us to. Now, may I say and remind us, we can never open this Bible. We can never obey a command. We can never trust God's word apart from the person and work of the Spirit. So be mindful as I'm exhorting us. That, well, you know, this is not something you do on your own. You can't. But in the power of the Spirit, you can. In fact, we must. That's why the Spirit indwells us. So we do these things in the power of the Spirit. Now, he does not say, enjoy the trial. That's sick. That's sick. And I mean that. There's some pain in this room? No. The loss of a loved one? Abuse, tragedy, death? No. He doesn't say enjoy the trial. What he's saying is, that the fullness of, of joy, that what all, all that joy is, so all that joy is, you can have even as you grieve. I'm telling you, you, the gospel, we can hold those together. We can hold those things. 
So he's not saying you can have nothing but joy in your trial. I think not. You can have deep pain and you will. And you can hold all that joy is even in that. This is what he's communicating. Now, this is why I like that we teach expositionally where we're in this book. Look, we're going to be in this book for 16 weeks. So everything we interpret <clears throat> is going to fit in the context of the whole. And when you think about that, you know, it moves us verse by verse. So when you take this chapter and you look at verse 2, honestly, what if all you had was verse 2? I'd go insane. I mean, I'd be a, you'd be a mental basket case, you know, like that's it? Just do that? No, no. There's verse 3 and 4. And then there's four more chapters, you know, to go. So let's go to the reason. Paul knows we're rational beings. God does. And so he inspired Paul to give us a reason. Look, look consider it all joy when you kind of try. Let me, tell you, let me tell you why. And the first thing he does, if you'll note in verse three is, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance is, he says, let me tell you what this trial is. Ultimately, um, it's, it, God is testing you. Think of the Old Testament, <clears throat> that, that wisdom comes by, God takes his people and he melts them with, you know, it's like gold that's melted, right, bad stuff rise top, skim out, you know, he's te- he tests his people. He shapes his people. I've got a slide I want to show you. Just yell out if you know what this slide is. What is it? Yeah, well, what, and what, that's right, and what is Underwriters Laboratory? Testing, right, right. Listen to this, 1893, William Henry Merrill starts something that becomes called United uh, Underwriters Laboratory, but you know what they do? They make sure that what the coffee cup is supposed to do, it does. That the wire, what it's supposed to do, it does. 120 years later, 30, 22 billion products with the little Underwriter Laboratory sticker on it. God will test our faith so that we know it's real. So that we know it works. It's for our good, he tests our faith. Always. And y'all, it's so important that he tests our faith because the world will also test your faith. See, you and I live in a world where it's going to constantly tell you God is not in control. He's not powerful enough. He doesn't love you. He's, the world's going to tell you that. And the Bible's going to say the exact opposite. It's going to say God is in control, all-powerful, holy, good, and he loves you. And the, where you're going to go with that is based on your what? On your faith. God's going to deepen our faith. He's going to constantly work to strengthen our faith for our good that we would choose to believe that what he says is true. The second reason we can consider it all joy is that when we live through trials as he's encouraging us to hear in the power of the Spirit by faith, it produces something. He says it produces endurance. Some of your Bibles say steadfastness. Some of them say perseverance. Uh, it's two Greek words, hupo, which means under, and meno, which means remain. You know, this, this marker right now is not hupo meno. 
Now it is hupomeno, and if I kept it there a long time, it's, it's remaining under. It's not under anymore, it's not hupomeno. To, to remain under is what endurance means. Persevere. To be steadfast. It's a picture that a trial, yes, is, it can feel like a weight, and by golly, I think it does physically in our bodies, emotionally in our souls. I can't, I can't. I can't bear this. This is the trial, and God says, remain under it. Like, and, and what we do, I think what we tend to do in our fallenness is, it's like, I can't, oh my gosh, I gotta get out from under that. And we go to the idol of choice. We go and we relieve ourselves and leave the pain. We escape it, deny it. I mean, you just name what we do. I mean, it, you know, I'm, Pick the drug of choice. It could be busyness, uh, shopping, hyper control. We escape to our head. I'm just gonna stay in my head and reason all this stuff out. Never engage the feelings and the soul and the heart in its wholeness. Uh, drugs, pornography. What, I mean, literally, just name it. We, we, I can't, I, whoo, I gotta get out of that. And we go. That's what we do in our fallenness. And God's inviting us in the trial to remain under. That's not easy, but he says we can in the power of the Spirit remain under hupomeno in this trial and difficulty. Well, what's the result? He said, here's the response you're to have. Here's a reason. And notice the result, verse three, knowing that the testing of your, or verse four, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's not talking about moral perfection. So take that off the table here. He's not talking. You can be perfect morally. You never be perfect morally this side of heaven. Only Jesus is perfect morally and we're credited with his righteousness. Thank God. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about wholeness, which is what he says, complete and whole. Uh, this is uh, another one of those two Greek words put together. Holos means whole and complete. And then kleros means portion. Think of a pie. You got a whole pie. You got a portion that's missing. That's, that's not complete. That's not perfect. What's perfect is if every piece of the pie is there. That's the idea. Every, every part given to us to be whole in Jesus is there. It's complete. It's mature. That's the idea. And that's the result. That's what God produces in us. And I would say this, and, and this is why I, I, I mentioned the word earlier, that what this is describing, quite frankly, when we respond based on this reason and re this result, he's describing wholehearted life in Christ, our mission. Finding wholehearted life in Jesus is what he's describing. Now, I want to put this in real time. I want us to think about this now, today. This morning in this service, and you're sitting in this room. And this is where I want to, again, kind of diagram this out a little and draw a, a, a picture or two, I think, that, could, that can help us. All of us are sitting today in January of 2019. So here you are. January of 2019, we just sang a song and said, Lord, make us more like Christ, which I believe 
those of us who know Christ, that's our prayer. We, you know, the, the, the goal of the Christian life the, the, is God's glory, which is he's glorified when we become more like Jesus. If you don't know Christ, you're here today for some reason, and maybe it's, it's that God is inviting you, and it's time for you to believe and to trust Christ and become more like Christ. But we in the room, I assume, we're, we want to be more like Jesus. Here's the question. We're gonna live 360-something days and we're gonna to come to January 2020. And my question to us is, how are we gonna become more like Jesus a year from now than we are today? And I really believe this, that it's, it's, it's my desire for you, it's my desire for my own life, it's, it's, it's what the Spirit puts in us. But how? How are we gonna live this next year in such a way that we're here on you know, January 6, 2020, and it's like, I'm different. I'm not perfect, I'm not done, but I've matured in the faith. I'm more wholehearted in Christ. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. James 1, 2, 3, and 4 is how God is gonna do this. And here's what I wanna invite you to do. He says, when you encounter various trials, that word various actually means multicolored, multifaceted, different and unique. There is no, there is no, trials are like thumbprints. There's no one exactly the same as the other because we're different people and they hit us in different ways. But I'm gonna invite you right now to uh, shout out, to say, uh, here's, a, here's a trial in, in, in my life or someone I know's life, you know, so you could... You can make it someone you know, but I want to invite you to be honest and real about this. And, and if you're not, then I'll start writing them up here because I know a lot of you and I know some of the travels. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying those things are real. Someone last service said, patience. And I went, patience? I mean, no, tell me what's making you try and learn patience. That's the trial. <laughs> not patience isn't the trial. But what would be, I, I'll start here. You know, I got a call on Friday. Or we got a call just this weekend, Stuart. God's father passed away. There's no one's gonna escape this. Death of a loved one, wow. What else? Trials in life. Health, Health? yeah. Some of, us have, some of us have gotten a bad report and some of us before 2020 will get that report. What else? Struggles, trials, challenges, hardships. Parenting, Parenting. okay. Parenting, and then someone said uh, family. Yeah, parenting, family, you know, and I would, I would just throw on here certainly just plain old relationships that, my goodness, I don't know, no one, no one gets through this life without difficult relationships. What else? Drugs. Say it again. Drugs? drugs? Yeah. yeah, drugs. Absolutely. What else? Loneliness. Loneliness. Someone said something, I didn't hear it. Yeah. Addiction. Divorce, y'all, 
know you're gonna find this hard to believe, but there are people sitting next to you who are struggling in their marriage. And every marriage in this room won't make it to 2020. That's, it, I, I, I hope it would, but it may not. It's, 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 we could go on, right? Okay, so there's, I mean, there's way more, you know? Uh, we didn't even put this up here, and I must, because I know we struggle here. Am I gonna have enough? Am I gonna have enough when I'm retired? You know, we could go on and on and on. Now, James says, while we're standing this side of 2020 and we're looking ahead, he says, consider it all joy. Wait a minute, I just lost my dad. I'm, I just got a report. I may not live, you want to consider, well, you've got to know, when, I can't do that, but James says, let me get the reason, because God is testing your faith. God is shaping your faith through this difficulty and this trial. And if you'll remain under, I'm producing in you completeness and wholeness in Christ. Can you remain under as, as you face this? I'm telling you, this is not easy. But I'm also telling you, it's a command. It's a command. It's not... Um, Hey, I'd like you to think about uh, doing, no, it's a command for us as believers because the spirit of God indwells us and enables us to remain under even in these challenges. Now, there's one word I didn't mention to you and it may be the most important word in here. Look at verse three again. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, that word knowing is the Greek word gnosko, and it is very clearly not mental assent only. It is experiential knowledge. It is experiential knowledge. What, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's this, like, yeah, I believe the parachute will work. That's a mental ascent. You'll only have gnosko if you jump out of the plane and the parachute lands you. You now know that the parachute will hold you. Do you see, this is, the, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about experiential knowledge. You know, I think everyone in the room at some level would, 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 if I said, do you believe God provides? Everyone would go, yes, God provides. Well, I'm gonna tell you, for many Christians, that is not gnosko knowing. It is just a recognition that the Bible says it. Because to experientially know that would mean something like this, that, uh, you know, you don't, you can't see it adding up in your budget but you believe God owns it all and, and invites you to give a certain percentage to him. So when you couldn't afford it, per se, you chose to tithe or give five, just to give a percentage. You chose to do that. And 20 years later, you're still doing it. And you know God provides. You see, it's different. I'm telling you, it's different because, because you actually experienced it. When you didn't have it, he showed himself faithful. And some of you are sitting in this room today because you know, gnosko, know 
that God is faithful and trustworthy because you have lived through the hell of loss and pain and hurt and misunderstanding. And you're in this room today and you're able to sing these songs not because the pain is gone, but because God has enabled you by his grace to trust him that he's good. I know there are a lot of you in this room. It must be all of us in this room. This is the Christian life. Not to say we know something, but to know it by experience to remain under it some of you maybe are going well I've never experienced that okay experience it now you see and 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 as you and I experience God's faithfulness in the trials of life the older we get the more we have to draw on when it only gets harder. I'm just telling you, the Christian life doesn't get like, you get in your older age and suddenly it's like, man, I've learned all the lessons, it's awesome. No, no, what, when you're maturing in the faith, let me tell you what the trials are gonna be like. They're gonna be harder than when you were 20 because you're more mature and it's gonna be more difficult. And if you haven't lived your life in such a way where God says something and you choose to trust him in it, Oh my, we'll struggle mightily, you see, the older you get. Don't turn there, but let's go to the example par excellence. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, listen to these words, you all. He says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Man, this sounds like some of the words James is using. Yeah. Who for the joy set before him endured, same Greek word, the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see what Jesus, you see Jesus, you could put Jesus in the garden right here. Put Jesus in the garden. He, he, he knows that what's in front of him, that the people he created and, and people who are breathing the air that he gave them and, and the wood that he'll be crucified on, he spoke into being. He knows that in the garden. He knows what's coming on the cross. And what did he do? He endured the cross. But wait, 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 how did he endure the cross? Because he looked to the joy that was set before him, the wholeness of fulfilling the will of his father. He looked to that joy and therefore he what? And he uses the same Greek word. He endured the cross, you all. You go, well, yeah, he was nailed to it. He couldn't come off. I think not. I think not. You know, Jesus, when they came to arrest him and he said, I am he, It'd be like if I said, I am he, and all of you just flattened out against the back wall. Because God could, could, could do any now. Now, he would not remove himself from that cross because he loves us. And so he endured the cross. He hupomenoed on the cross for you and for me. And so 
So the writer of Hebrews says, look, think about Jesus. I know this is, you're, you're in a tough spot and you don't see any way out. And, and I understand that. So, so consider Jesus who, 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 who took the joy that he knew would be his and brought it back to the garden of Gethsemane. And even in that, he could hold the fullness of joy and endure the cross and not to diminish anything up here. Okay, when I do this, there is no hardship or even, please hear me, I hope you understand when I say this, or evil of life that compares with the Son of God crucified on the cross. Can we agree with that? Not to diminish anyone's pain, not at all. But there's none that, that, that match this, you see. Because he was the perfect son of God. And yet he endured the brutality of humanity for us. And therefore, when we're in our challenge and trial, it's real, you all. The pain is real. The loss is real. But yet, can we consider Jesus? I mean, this is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And can we consider him? Reckon him. Jesus, you... You endured the worst that the world could offer. And you're seated at the throne of the Father. And by faith in you, your spirit indwells me. My sins are forgiven. I'm clothed in your righteousness. And by your strength in me, I can remain under. And by remaining under, God is producing in me a wholeness of life and heart and faith. This is going to be an uncomfortable 16 weeks in so many ways. And it's going to be so good for us. I want the ushers to pass something out to you. You're going to want this. I want you to take one, one of these when it comes by you. It's not a token. It's a dollar, okay? Someone said yes. Now, see, oh my gosh, Brad. He's got six kids, so you can take more than one. I'm just kidding. No. That, uh, yeah, some of you have kids in the learning center. You're going, well, I need five more, you know. No, no. But if you want to take them for your kids, you can. But every child, every person in this room needs to have one. And you need to have one. Uh, it, it's, it, it's something we're going to hold on to, the whole book of James. And when we get to the end of James, we're going to do something with it, and I want you to keep it. So we want to give you something that you'll hold on to, Okay. Um, and, it, and, it, and it represents this. It could not be more simple, if it may be. I hope it's not sim- simplistic, too simplistic. But you all, James is telling us, and he says it in chapter 2, of course, faith without works is dead. What James is telling us is our faith is not faith if it has no works. And, and, and our works are of no value if it's not rooted in faith. And you're holding a dollar in your hand. And on one side, it says, in God we trust. And on the other, this one is around patents and works, which is kind of neat to think about. Uh, it says, you know, uh, United States of America, et cetera. The bottom line is there are two sides to one coin. 
And in faith, there are two sides to this. There are two sides to faith. There's belief, and then there's the doing. There's the belief, and then there's behavior. You cannot split this coin. You cannot divide this coin and have a coin and have value. It will buy you nothing. It's dead if you split it. And we want us together to hang on to this through James so that when we stop, because he's going to tell us, are you doing this? We stop and we go, okay, I believe that. Am I doing it? Because if I'm not doing it, I really don't believe. You see what I'm saying? It, it's all this. It, to believe is to do. And I want you to hang on to that. Some of those are rolling around on the floor. People, people will be coming back in here after the service saying, I forgot my coat. You know, you know. Looking for... Oh my gosh. Um, so you want to hang on to this. And uh, I'll have it in my pocket. And, and, and I know when I'm teaching, I'm going to make sure that when I get to the point where we always do and say, you know, we, we just heard the truth. What are we going to do with it? I'm going to, I got to, like I'm now, I'm rubbing it in my hand going, God, you want to strengthen my faith and you strengthen my faith when I trust you and I do what you call me to do. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to take that coin in your fingers right now. And I want you to be mindful that if you believe it, James is asking you, what are you doing with it? And all of us could name a trial, a challenge we're in right now. Would you ask God what he's inviting you to do in it to remain under? It's not a passive remaining under. No, it's a very active dependence upon the spirit to remain under this challenge and this trial. And God will tell you. And I want you to ponder that for just a few moments before we leave. Father, apart from your spirit, we can't remain under and we won't. So even as we sang about your spirit opening our eyes, would, would you, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and strengthen our will and enable us to stay under the challenge, knowing it won't ultimately crush us. It can't, for Christ is in us but it will shape us and shape our faith. May this book of James change us individually and as a community of faith to be more like Jesus in ways that people see it and know it, not for our glory, but for yours, O oh God. Faith without works is dead. Grant us an active faith. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Thought it would be appropriate to be reminded of
a proverb in this New Testament book of Proverbs, so to speak. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight, i.e., he will, he will enable you to remain under and to experience the fullness of life in Christ. God bless you. You are dismissed.